Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle. Dion Tyree Gordon, enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. Let's talk basketball. Let's talk NBA playoffs. Let's talk Kwame Brown versus Stephen A. Smith. Let's talk about unruly, disrespectful, douchebag, jackass, cocksucker fans disrespecting black men. Uh, there's a lot to unpack, a lot to talk about, so let's get right into it. Let's talk about... The one playoff, the one first round NBA playoff series that has already concluded, the Miami Heat have been swept out of the first round of the NBA playoffs by the Milwaukee Bucks, the same team the Miami Heat beat in last year's Eastern Conference semifinal in the uh, made for TV Disney AAU COVID 19 Coronavirus Championships brought to you by ABC and Black Lives Matter, otherwise known as the NBA playoffs in the bubble. The Bucks have exacted revenge against the team that humiliated and embarrassed them last year, sweeping the Miami Heat 4-0 in the first round of the Eastern Conference quarterfinal series and moving on to the second rounds in the semifinals. The Miami Heat completely shit the bed in the first round, in particular their two best players, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Someone should put out an APB for both those brothers. They're both currently located on a milk carton. Where were they? Jimmy Butler got outscored by Bryn Forbes in the first round 60-58. to he was not alone in his postseason futility in 2021 in contrast to how great he was in 2020. As a collective, the Miami Heat were not good in that first round. As a matter of fact, Jimmy Butler shot 49% in the 2020 NBA playoffs. He shot 30% in his first round. Bam Adebayo shot 56% last year in 2020. In 2021, he shot 46%. Tyler Hero. Shot 43% last year. He shot 32% this year. Duncan Robinson, 43% field goal percentage last postseason, 38% this year. It begs the question, was the Miami Heat's run to the NBA Finals last year a fluke? Was it a fraud? Was it disingenuous? Was it phony? I would have to say yes. You look at the numbers that I just outlined. You look at the overall performance. You look at the fact that they got swept in the first round this year. 4-0, didn't win a game. Other than game one versus Miami, the other three games weren't even close. They got their asses handed to them in games two, three, and four. They had pretty much the exact same team coming back from last season. Now, they made a deal midseason to bring in Victor Oladipo. He unfortunately got hurt before the playoffs started, wishing him all the best in his recovery. Always sad to see a great player like Oladipo get hurt and go down with an injury. But uh, other than Oladipo, they came in with a formidable team. As I said, pretty much an exact replica of what they had last year in the bubble. But this year, you're playing in a normal setting. You're playing games on the road and at home. You got to travel. They got fans back in the stands this year uh, because apparently the pandemic is over, or at least we're telling people that it's over. We just want it to be over. Everyone has COVID fatigue, so everyone's just pretending that coronavirus is no longer a threat. So... They've opened up the doors to allow fans back in the building for better or for worse, and I'll get to that later. Uh, but with the Heat's performance in, in the first round of this playoff series and gracefully bowing out in four games, you have to ask that question. Was it a fluke? Now, on one hand, you could say, well, there was a short turnaround from the end of last season and the beginning of this season. Uh, last season concluded in October. And this season started in December, so the 2020 season ends in October. Two months later, a month and a half later, we started the 2021 season. The Heat started this season with a number of guys on the COVID-19 list. They had, had inconsistency with their starting rotations and their lineups all throughout the year, and they just weren't able to put it together, and it culminated with a first-round loss in the Milwaukee Bucks. Give Milwaukee credit. They made the move to bring in Drew Holiday, who was a significant upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. They brought in P.J. Tucker. 
Bobby Portis is a nice addition. You already had Giannis Antetokounmpo. You already had Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez. Unfortunately, they lost uh, Dante DiVincenzo in the first round. Uh, but still, this is a better basketball team than what it was a season ago. So congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks moving on to the second round. They'll be playing against the Brooklyn Nets. Let's not kid ourselves and think that the Boston Celtics have a chance versus the Brooklyn Nets because they don't. Milwaukee and Brooklyn in the second round is the playoff series that will take place and should be a good, entertaining series. Uh, for the Miami Heat, one last thing about them. you got to ask the question, should they have made that trade for James Harden? It's a moot point right now because what's done is done. It didn't make the trade. Harden's in Brooklyn. Miami is gone from the playoffs. But you got to ask that question. Should they have made that deal, sending Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and a few other guys to Houston for James Harden? The answer is yes, they should have made that deal. Obviously, James Harden is better than everyone they have on the team. That includes Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. If you could have figured out a way to keep Jimmy and Bam and bring in James Harden, they absolutely should have made that deal. But that's revisionist history. What's done is done. We're moving on. Let's stay in the Eastern Conference and go to another playoff series, my favorite playoff series right now. That, of course, is the 4-5 matchup in the Eastern Conference, the Atlanta Hawks and the New York Knickerbockers. Welcome back to the NBA playoffs, New York Knicks. It's been a long time. Shouldn't have left you without a dope beat to step to. 2012 is the last time the Knicks won a playoff game up until the other night. Game 2, Madison Square Garden. New York City came out and represented. That was a playoff atmosphere. That was beautiful to watch. It really was. As a basketball fan, I'm not a Knicks fan. I'm a Laker fan. But I respect the New York Knicks. I got respect for their players. I got respect for their team, for Coach Thibodeau. I got respect for their fans. I think Knicks fans are the most loyal fans in all of professional basketball. These people have stuck with this team through thick and thin, through the absolutely abysmal tenure of James Dolan as the owner of the basketball team, the Phil Jackson error, the tyranny of Isaiah Thomas running the team. I mean, this, this team has been down on their luck, to say the least. This has been a long time coming for Knicks fans, and these people, they deserve it. Knicks fans deserve this moment to have their team in the playoffs. New Yorkers deserve this moment. Every New Yorker I ever met is a basketball fan. No exaggeration. Every single person I've ever met from New York, and I've met a lot of people from New York, they all are basketball fans. My best friends from New York, salute to my man Ronnie Vanderpool, who has a podcast of his own. Main event presents Just Talking Shift by Ronnie Vanderpool. That's M.A.I.N.E.V.E.N.C. Presents Just Talking Shift by Ronnie Vanderpool. Be on the lookout for that. Subscribe to that. He got some good shit cooking over there. I will always give credit to and acknowledge that brother for being one of the many people to inspire and influence me to start doing podcasts. You wouldn't even be hearing this right now if it wasn't for that brother and many others, friends, co-workers, my girlfriend. Uh, a lot of people just taught me into doing this. Uh, so I always give credit and respect to that brother for a lot of reasons. Uh, but he, he's a New Yorker from, from Harlem, Staten Island, all that. Diehard basketball fan, diehard Laker fan since 85. Salute to him once again. Uh, my girlfriend's from New York, from Brooklyn, Flatbush to be exact. The only sport she'll ever sit down and watch with me is basketball. She won't watch a football game with me unless it's the Super Bowl. She kind of was in and out with that, but not really, not really into it. She won't watch baseball with me, hockey, fuck that. MMA, boxing, maybe kind of, sort of. But she'll watch a basketball game with me. Why? Because she's a New Yorker, and every New Yorker likes basketball. It's embedded within them. It's, it's in their DNA. It's on their birth certificate. It's a contract. You must like If you were born in New York City, you must like basketball. 
The same way you must like a bacon, egg, and cheese, the same way you must wear Timberland boots, you know, you're obligated to take a piss in the elevator, etc. If you're a New Yorker, you are a basketball fan, and you saw that in full force in Game 2 with that playoff series versus the Atlanta Hawks. That, that fan base and that crowd willed that team to victory in Game 2. Unfortunately, they couldn't travel enough in Games 3 and 4 because to my eyes, from what I'm seeing as a basketball fan, the New York Knickerbockers are finished. And Game 4 in particular reminded me of something I've always heard from legendary sports columnists from the Washington Post and legendary ESPN personality, one half of the famed television show, Pardon the Interruption, alongside Tony Kornheiser, Michael Wilbon has always had a saying about the NBA playoffs that I co-sign a thousand percent. In every NBA playoff series, there comes a point in time where both teams realize who the better team is. Game four between the Atlanta Hawks and the New York Knicks that was played earlier today, both teams have arrived at that point. The Atlanta Hawks are just a better basketball team than the New York Knicks. The Atlanta Hawks have more guys that can score than the Knicks do. The offense comes easier for the Atlanta Hawks than it does for the New York Knicks. Julius Randle has been absent from this series. I'm not going to criticize this guy too much. It's, it's a lot to ask for this dude. This is his first time in the NBA playoffs, and not only is it his first time, it's his first time as a superstar for the New York Knicks anyway. He's the NBA's most improved player, well-deserved. But now it's the playoffs. The focus, the attention, the energy level is all ratcheted up Everyone's, everyone's watching now, and it's a different type of basketball being played at this time of the year. And for a guy like Randall, who is not accustomed to this, you can see the effect that the NBA playoffs has had on him. He has not answered the challenge so far. He's not played up the standard. He's been below standard, to be quite frank about it. So far in this playoffs, Julius Randle is averaging 14.7 points per game, shooting only 24% from the field, 30% from three-point range, 85% from the free throw line. That's good. 11 rebounds a game. That's also good. But that 14 points per game is not enough, especially when you consider that during the regular season, he averaged 24 points per game on 46% shooting. If it wasn't for Derrick Rose, this series would be over already. It would be a 4-0 sweep, just like the Miami-Milwaukee series. Derrick Rose has been incredible and inspiration. If you're a true basketball fan, you love Derrick Rose. That's just what it is. Don't call yourself a basketball fan if you don't love, respect, and appreciate Derrick Rose for the grind that he's been on, for the roller coaster career he's had to endure, for all the injuries he's had to suffer through, for what he's done and what he's contributed to the sport from Chicago, from being a superstar MVP in 2011 having the injuries that he had, leaving Chicago, going to Cleveland, coming off the bench, playing mop-up duty, garbage time minutes for the Cavaliers, bouncing around the NBA, going to find himself in Minnesota, having that 50-point game that everyone celebrated, everyone loved, and rightfully so, going to the Knicks, following Thibodeau over there. Twice he's been with the Knicks now. Had one stint there a couple of years ago. He's now come back to the Knicks, reunited with Tom Thibodeau, and has had incredible success for the Knicks. And it, it brings me so much joy to watch Derrick Rose and the way he's played his career revival and the way he's gotten back on the map, on the NBA map. Uh, I can't say enough about Derrick Rose and how fun it is to watch him play and how, how great it is to see Derrick Rose playing at a high level for a playoff team in the NBA playoffs. I like the way Derrick Rose plays basketball now. I like the way he's reinvented himself as a basketball player because this game is no longer predicated on just explosive athleticism. He's savvy enough to realize that's not his game anymore. 
He's not, he's not as young as he used to be. The injuries have taken a toll on him. So he's reinvented himself. He's got a better perimeter jump shot now. He's incorporated floaters and runners into his game now. He picks and chooses when he wants to attack the rim and how he wants to attack the rim. It's fun watching his, his development and his progression as a basketball player. His level of basketball IQ stands out to me a lot now. He's a fun player. He's always been a fun player to watch. But even older Derrick Rose, who's not as, not as athletic and explosive as he used to be, is still fun to watch. But at the end of the day, he is all the Knicks have offensively right now. Randall has let them down. R.J. Barrett has been non-existent. Quickly, nothing. Reggie Bullock, who's a starter for this team, played 34 minutes, has zero points, 0 for 3 from the field, 0 for 3 from three-point range, 0 for 4 from the field total, four rebounds, two assists, two fouls. You had more fouls than points as a starting small forward in the NBA playoffs playing 34 minutes. You had two fouls and zero points. That's unacceptable. This team is totally devoid of offense. They've hung their hat on defense all season, but now you run into an Atlanta Hawks team that could put up points. You've got Trey Young going off today for 27. You've got Collins going off for 22. Capella gave you 10. Bardanovich had 12. Gallinari off the bench had 21 points. This is a team with a diverse array of scorers all throughout the entire roster, and they can put points on the board. And for a team like the Knicks that struggles with scoring points, it's hard for them to keep up. It's impossible for them to keep up. This series will probably be over in five. I don't know. Maybe the Knicks crowd, maybe the Knicks fans can will them to another victory so they don't get closed out in Madison Square Garden, at least push it to a game six down back in, in, in Atlanta. But personally, I don't see it happening. I think the better team resides in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Knicks season will come to an end sometime this week. The only thing the Knicks can hang their hat on is that they're playing a team from the state of Georgia, and as sports history will tell you, that teams from the state of Georgia have a propensity for losing, choking, failing, and blowing big leads. Let's just call it what it is. The Atlanta Falcons had a 28-3 lead on the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 51. They shit the bed and lost that game 34-28. They blew the biggest lead in Super Bowl history. They come from the state of Georgia. The Georgia Bulldogs, a college football team, had a game against the Alabama Crimson Tide, the national championship game, where they blew two, not one, but two 14-point leads in one game and lost. I'm sorry, that was the SEC championship game a couple of years ago. But they blew that game. They blew the national championship game versus Alabama. They had a lead in that game as well. They choked. They failed. They shit the bed. They lost the game. You think about the Atlanta Braves all those years. They won like 15 consecutive National League East Division titles have one World Series to show for it. They got mopped up by the Yankees like two out two years in the in the World Series. They lost the Florida Marlins in the NLCS. They lost to the Philadelphia Phillies in the 93 NLCS. They always figured out a way to lose when they were supposed to win. You had this all-time great legendary pitching staff with Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Kerry Millwood, Steve Avery, Terry Mulholland. This great lineup with David Justice, Ron Gant, Terry Pendleton, Otis Nixon, Fred McGriff, Jeff Blauser, Mark Lemke, all these great players that you had. Brian Jordan, Jermaine Dye, Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones. All these great players the Atlanta Braves had, they couldn't win more than one World Series title. So if you're the Knicks, that's the only hope you have is that you're playing a team from the state of Georgia and teams from the state of Georgia will always figure out a way to fuck it up and lose at the most inopportune time. Other than that, the Knicks are fucked. That's just what I see. Like I said, they don't have the firepower, the requisite firepower to match up with a team like Atlanta. They just don't have it. They only have one guy scoring consistently. Unless Randall can get his shit together and R.J. Barrett can get his shit together, 
I don't see a path to success for the New York Knicks in this series other than the fact that they're playing a team from the state of Georgia that will figure out a way to fuck it up and lose. So, Hawks and six, I'll say that. I'll give the Knicks one win back in the Garden, and Atlanta will finish it up back in the ATL, State Farm Arena. Hawks and six, moving on to the next round to play against the number one seed, the Philadelphia 76ers, who are making light work of the Washington Wizards. I'm not even going to waste too much time talking about that series. That's a clear mismatch. They have no answer for Embiid, no answer for Ben Simmons, no answer for anybody. They also don't have enough firepower to compete with Philadelphia. They shouldn't. They're the number eight seed. They had to play in. They had to win play-in games to get into the playoffs. The series is yet another reminder that the NBA playoffs, the first round anyway, is way too long. We should go back to the old format of best three out of five instead of best four out of seven in the first round. There is no need to be wasting all this time with a series that is pretty much a foregone conclusion. The 76ers are moving on to the second round. The Washington Wizards will be making reservations for Cancun, just like the Boston Celtics, who are also overmatching their first-round playoff series. I know they won Game 3, but look what it took for them to win Game 3. It's Jason Tatum going off for 50 points for them to win one game in this series. This series is also a complete mismatch. Boston is without Jalen Brown for Game 4. They were without Kemba Walker. So it's pretty much just J- Jason Tatum versus Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. The Brooklyn Nets, a.k.a. the Eastern Conference All-Stars, should wrap this series up in five games back in Brooklyn and move on to the second round. In game four today, the uh, big three for the Brooklyn Nets combined for 104 points. Durant, Harden, and Kyrie combined for 104 points. That is the most that three teammates have combined to score in the NBA postseason in NBA postseason history. That is tied with Dominique Wilkins, Randy Whitman, and Spud Webb, who also combined for 104 points in the 1986 NBA playoffs, along with John Havlicek, JoJo White, and Dave Cowens for the Boston Celtics in the 1973 NBA playoffs. They also had a game where they combined to score 104 points. Total domination by the Brooklyn Nets, a complete mismatch, and this series is over. I don't care. You know, game four, Boston was allowed to have fans back in the stadium uh, at the arena, a full capacity. They had fans in game three, I think it was about half capacity. In game four, they had full capacity, about 17,000 fans. Kyrie Irving was trepidatious about going to Boston, knowing the racist reputation of Boston, and he was worried about being called you know, different racist names throughout games three and four. He probably was. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many times you call him the N-word. It doesn't matter how many times you just disrespect this man, throw bottles at him. More on that later. He's still Kyrie Irving. He's still going to cook you. He's still going to get 39 points like he had today. He still plays for the better basketball team in this series, and that's just what it is. It's an unfair fight. Like I said, Boston, that's Jason Tatum, who's an outstanding, phenomenal player. The NBA is in great hands. You look at all the great star players in this league, 25 and under, most of whom are currently in the playoffs and playing at a high level. You look at Jason Tatum. You look at Donovan Mitchell. You look at Luka Doncic, Trey Young. Devin Booker in Phoenix alongside DeAndre Ayton, his teammate. There's a lot of great players. And then John Morant also with Memphis. A lot of great players in this league, 25 and under, showing you what they're capable of and showing you the future of this league right now. The only guy missing from the equation is Zion Williamson with the New Orleans Pelicans who didn't make the playoffs this year. But still, the NBA is in good hands. You're seeing that on full display in these playoffs. But Tatum is completely outmatched. He has no chance in this series. The Brooklyn Nets are moving on, and that's just what it is. So that wraps up the Eastern Conference side. Let's go to the Western Conference. The aforementioned John Morant playing for the AC Memphis Grizzlies going against Donovan Mitchell, the number one seed Utah Jazz. 
this is a pretty good series. I feel like it's being disrespected and overlooked because the two teams are not really national powerhouses. They're not nationally well-known. They're not exactly the glamorous premier teams in the NBA that people are going to watch and pay attention to in the small markets. It's Memphis and Utah, but it's a good basketball being played in this series. Memphis was able to take one out of two in Utah. They came back to Memphis in game three. Utah was able to outlast them and win that, win that game. So they're up 2-1 now with game four. They're being played tomorrow night. Interesting series. We should see what happens. Utah is a better team on paper. They're the number one seed for a reason. They go crazy from three. They can guard you. They can defend all 94 feet of the court. They're a great basketball team. They're playing against the number eight seed, a team that they're going to play in the game to get in, into the playoffs in the first place. Morant's a great player, but it's not his time yet. He doesn't have a whole lot of help. Dylan Brooks is another great player. I, I love Devin Brooks' game. Dylan Brooks' game, I should say. Um, Valanchunas is another great player for that team, but that's really all they have. I say Utah in six. I'll give Memphis one more win. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they won uh, game four tomorrow night, but I think Utah should win this series in six and move on to the next round where they will play the winner of the 4-5 matchup in the NBA Western Conference. And this is a very intriguing series. The L.A. Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks. Dallas took games one and two at Staples Center on the road in L.A. The Clippers have found their way back in this series, came back from the dead, and going on the road in Dallas and taking games three and four. So the road team has won every game in this series. Big effort tonight by the L.A. Clippers to tie the series up at two games apiece. 106-81 in game four. Four guys in double figures in the starting five for the L.A. Clippers. Kawhi Leonard leading the way with 29 points. Paul George, 20 points. Reggie Jackson with 15. Nicholas Batum with 10. Great all-around effort. Uh, What you saw in the first two games of the series was only Kawhi and P.G. were doing the score, and the rest of the team couldn't get a bucket. But in games three and four, some adjustments have been made finally by Tyron Lue. Other guys have stepped their games up. They figure out a way to guard and defend Luka Doncic. Only had 19 points in this game tonight. Luka was straight cooking these dudes in games one and two. That shit was so ugly to watch. They were beating the Clippers with the same thing over and over again. High screen and roll. Have someone have Patrick Beverly switch on the Luka Doncic, and that's barbecue chicken. Patrick Beverly is everything Russell Westbrook said he was. He's just loud. You know, he has his this reputation that is falsely, undeservedly bestowed upon him of being a defensive stopper. Patrick Beverly is not a defensive stopper. He's an irritant. He's annoying. He's a pest, but he ain't stopping nobody. He damn sure ain't stopping Luka Doncic one-on-one. Luka Doncic was kicking his ass in games one and two. Anytime Pat Bev had to switch on to Luka Doncic, he'd just back him, back him down to the basket and get an easy bucket. Or if it was Zubac who would switch on to Luka Doncic, it was a step-back three that he couldn't defend. They had no answer for him in games one through three. He's been, he cooked them all during the regular season. He had over 30 a game versus the Clippers in the regular season. You think back to the bubble last year. Luka was kicking the Clippers' ass in that series. If Porzingis didn't get hurt, they probably would have won that series. They should have won that series. You think about the fact that the Clippers lost the last two games of the season to put themselves in position to play against the Mavericks. That was looking real stupid after games one and two. But the Clippers have rebounded, gotten back on track. They've evened up the series at two games apiece. Going back to Staples Center for game five, we'll see how that series plays itself out. Kawhi Leonard is one of the top five players in the NBA. Anyone who says otherwise doesn't know shit about basketball. I've seen a lot of people online and social media trying to blame Kawhi for the Clippers' struggles in the first two games. Are you fucking crazy? If it wasn't for Kawhi, they would have lost by 50. He's all they had. And Paul George has played better, too. Everyone had jokes and ridicule and slander for Paul George calling him Pandemic P based on how he played in the bubble last year. He was terrible. He was god-awful. He was garbage. They know the way to put it. 
his his play was subpar below standard in the bubble last year. But I'm a big proponent of this. A big proponent of this. If you're gonna slander and criticize and ridicule someone when they play bad, celebrate, honor, and respect them when they play well, when they play at a high level. Paul George has played good basketball this series, so point that out. If he doesn't play well, point that out too. But when he does play well, give him his flowers while he's still living. There's nothing wrong with saluting somebody and giving somebody their props. Paul George has played well throughout this entire series. He and Kawhi Leonard have carried this team throughout this entire series. So I just wanted to point that out and make that point be known. So Clippers-Mavericks tied up at two, game five at Staples, uh, I think on Tuesday night. The 3-6 matchup, 3-6 Mafia in the Western Conference. Portland Trail Blazers and the Denver Nuggets. Same thing I said about the Knicks and the Hawks. One team has unlimited firepower, the other team doesn't. The Denver Nuggets have been decimated by injuries. Jamal Murray lost for the season with a torn ACL. Will Barton is not in the lineup. So you have the presumptive NBA League MVP, Nikola Jokic, having to carry the load and shoulder the burden pretty much by himself. Now, it would help if the other two guys on the team who are known as scorers, who are pretty good players in their own right, Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon, no relation, would pick up some of the slack. But they've been awful this series. In Game 3, Game 4, I'm sorry, in particular, they only had a combined total of nine points between the two of them. You look at Portland, on the other hand, they're getting when Portland gets 29 points from Norman Powell, they're going to win the game. Nothing against Norman Powell, but he's not really known as being a great scorer, giving you 29 points on a regular basis. But when he gives you 29, you're, you're going to win the game. Damian Lillard only had 10 points in game four, and one in 10 shooting in an off night. But like I said, you get a strong contribution from Norman Powell with 29. You get Nurkic with 17, McCollum with 21, Carmelo Anthony off the bench with 12 points. I'm so happy for Carmelo Anthony and the success he's had. This brother was written off. Black ball from the NBA for about a year and a half. People, idiots on TV, said he can't play. He doesn't fit in with the modern-day NBA. He's all mid-range. He can't shoot threes. He don't guard anybody. That shit was so absurd and fucking ridiculous to me. What do you mean he don't guard anybody? No one in the NBA guards anybody anymore. Teams are getting 140, 150 on a regular basis in regulation in 48 minutes of basketball. What do you mean Carmelo Anthony doesn't guard anybody? Apparently, no one does anymore. But I'll tell you what Carmelo Anthony does do. He gets you points. He gets buckets. He produces. He fills up the stat sheet in some capacity. He contributes. At 30, he just turned 37 the other day, by the way. Uh, happy birthday, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, at 37 years of age, still playing at a pretty good level, being a solid contributor for an NBA playoff team. It boggles the mind how this brother was blackballed from the NBA. I don't know why. It's not like a Colin Kaepernick situation where you know why he's being blackballed. I don't know what Carmelo Anthony did to be written off and blackballed the way he was. I just didn't, I don't understand it. But clearly, I think it was a media-driven agenda. I think it was a league-driven agenda, telling the media what to say to fill people's minds and condition them to think that Carmelo Anthony's washed up and can't play in the NBA anymore. I heard this so often. I thought it was fucking ludicrous, stupid, outlandish, asinine. It's absolutely dumb. If you don't know anything about basketball, just say so. But you can't tell me. With the number of guys, Davis Bertans from the Washington Wizards the other night had no points. He had nothing. No points, no rebounds, no assists, nothing. Maybe a foul or two in 34 minutes of basketball. You got guys like him. Tony Snell was at a couple of games like that. There have been a handful of guys in the NBA who've had games where they play 30 sub odd minutes and don't score. Patrick Beverly does this on a regular basis. Patrick Beverly in game two versus the Dallas Mavericks had three points, while the guy he was guarding had 39 points. 
and he's supposed to be a defensive specialist. No one in the NBA guards anybody anymore except for critical junctures of NBA playoff games. But for the most part, there ain't no elite stoppers in the NBA. You can get by in the NBA not being a great defensive player in today's NBA. Carmelo Anthony never should have been out of a job. So it's, it's so it fills me with so much joy to see brothers like him and Derrick Rose in the NBA thriving, being successful, contributing to playoff teams the way they are for their respective teams. Derrick Rose doing it for the Knicks. Carmelo Anthony doing it for the Portland Trailblazers. I'm so happy to see this. From the narratives that were written against them, for the agendas that were formed against them, for the way they were written off and disrespected, I'm so happy to see Carmelo Anthony and Derrick Rose playing in the NBA playoffs and playing at a high level. So Portland and Denver knotted up at two, game five back in Portland, I think on Tuesday night. And that leaves us with just one more playoff series in the NBA's Western Conference. And that, of course, would be my favorite basketball team since I was a kid. And I didn't just jump on the bandwagon. I'm not a fake fan. I've been a fan of the L.A. Lakers since Nick Van Exel, Anthony Peeler, Eldon Campbell, Sadell Threat. I go way back. Eddie Jones, young Kobe Bryant with the fro. Del Harris is the coach. Shaquille O'Neal when he was first brought in. Brian Shaw, etc. I ain't new to this. I'm true to this. I've been a Laker fan forever. I didn't just jump on the bandwagon because we got LeBron at AD. The Los Angeles Lakers, the 17-time world champion Los Angeles Lakers, your defending, reigning, conquering NBA world heavyweight champion Los Angeles Lakers, the seven-seed Los Angeles Lakers playing against the two-seed Phoenix Suns, and this series is tied up at two after a disappointing loss in game four today at Staples Center where they could have taken control of the series Instead, they lose 192. Two two things about this game, uh, game four in particular, that stand out to me. Number one, the reemergence of Chris Paul. Once again, we got to start giving people their proper credit and respect. Chris Paul is one of the greatest players, one of the greatest point guards in the history of this game. Every team he goes to gets better. You think about the beginning of his career with the New Orleans Hornets, as they were known at the time. You think about his time with the L.A. Clippers, how he resurrected that franchise. You think about what he did with the Houston Rockets. He had this team on the cusp, on the precipice of going to the NBA Finals until he got hurt, which seems to be an unfortunate trend for Chris Paul in his career. Uh, he injured his hamstring versus the Golden State Warriors. This opened the door for Golden State to come in and win this series in seven games. But you think about what Chris Paul did at Oklahoma City last year. Oklahoma City was the worst team in the NBA this year because they didn't have Chris Paul. Almost that same exact roster last year made the playoffs because they had Chris Paul. He leaves OKC, goes to Phoenix, a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in about 10 years, and leads them to the playoffs as a number two seed. Chris Paul is a first ballot NBA Hall of Famer. Give these brothers their credit while they're still playing, while they're still around. Chris Paul was banged up in this series with an injured shoulder. He really really wasn't himself in the first three games of this series. However, today in game four, he had 18 points. A lot of timely buckets made down the stretch. Had a big steal from Marcus Sol late in the late in the game to kind of seal the deal. I can't say enough about Chris Paul. He's one of my favorite players in the NBA. He's always been one of my favorite players in the NBA. Always been one of my favorite basketball players, period, going back to his days at Wake Forest. Outstanding floor general, great player, the quintessential NBA point guard, the point god. Chris Paul is a major factor and a major reason why the Phoenix Suns are even in the playoffs right now and tied up at two with the L.A. Lakers. You also got to give credit to Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton as well. Miles Bridges, Jay Crowder, the Phoenix Suns starting five all had double figures today in game four. Paul led the way with 18. Devin Booker at 17, Jay Crowder at 17, Miles Bridges 11, DeAndre Ayton with 14, Cameron Payne with 13 off the bench. 
Cameron Payne, a guy who was kind of bounced around the NBA for a little bit with OKC, Chicago, and a few other teams playing the G League for a little bit, was kind of exiled from the NBA, has found his way back and found a home in Phoenix that's playing good basketball. So that's good to see. I'm happy for him. The second thing I took away from game four, um, Anthony Davis, once again injured. He came into the game with a bad knee. He missed a bunch of games during the regular season with a bad calf. Now he has a bad growing. If you're a Laker fan, you watch the Lakers play. If you're a basketball fan, period, you watch the Lakers play, I guarantee you about three or four times during the course of the game, you're going to see Anthony Davis fall on the floor and roll around writhing in pain at some point during the game about three or four times, like I said. If you're interested in playing drinking games, you could take a shot. For every time Anthony Davis falls on the ground, you'll probably get fucked up depending on what you're drinking on. This happens. This is a trend. He always gets hurt. He's always banged up. There's always something wrong with him. Some guys are just like that. Some guys are just snake bitten. But with Anthony Davis, for all that talent, for all that ability, he's a walking MRI. He can't stay healthy. He can't stay on the court. The best ability you can have is availability. So with that being said, I don't know what kind of availability he's going to have going forward. Is he going to be able to play in game five? Doubt it. Is he going to be able to play in game six? Who knows? This is a growing injury. It's a soft tissue injury. This ain't something that just heals overnight. This ain't something that just goes away. This is going to linger with him in addition to the other injuries he already has. Like I said, his knee, his calf. So now you got all these lower leg injuries, all these leg injuries, period, bothering you at the same time while you're knee deep in the thick of the NBA playoffs. It doesn't look good for my Lakers. I got to be honest about it. I've been picking. I still picked the Lakers to go to the NBA Finals and play against the Brooklyn Nets, but I'm losing confidence in that by the day uh, because of the because of AD. Without Anthony Davis on the floor, the Lakers are 1-6 this season without Anthony Davis. Even with LeBron James in the lineup, with only LeBron on the floor and no Anthony Davis, the Lakers are 1-6 this season. It's not good. 1-6, only averaging 100 points per game, a points-per-game differential of minus 6.7, shooting 44% from the field this season in games without Anthony Davis but with LeBron James on the floor. And speaking of LeBron, you know, being the Laker fan that I am, I like LeBron. If you hear me talk about LeBron in conversation, you might think otherwise. You might think I hate LeBron. I don't hate LeBron. I have no reason to hate that brother. I never met him before. I think LeBron fans are annoying. I've always said that. I think people who like LeBron are fucking awful. But other than that, I have no reason to hate him as a player. He's not my favorite player in the NBA. He's not the the most fun player to watch, I think. He's never been one of my favorite players. I've always had a number of, a slew of arguments with people over the years about LeBron versus Kobe, LeBron versus Jordan. And I always say Kobe and and Jordan are better than him. That's just my opinion. But there's no slight to LeBron James. I always say LeBron James is the third best basketball player I ever watched. Third only to Kobe Bean Bryant and Michael Jordan. What's wrong with that? I say it to people and people get offended. People get their panties in a bunch. I don't see what the problem is. You know how many basketball players I watch play basketball? Thousands. A lot. And to say that this guy's the third best basketball player I ever watched, to me, that's a high compliment. But when I say it to people, they say, oh, you a hater, man. You always hating on LeBron. Okay, man, everyone's got this fucking complex where everyone thinks just because you're pointing out deficiencies in someone or saying that they're not the best you've ever seen or you don't, you don't acknowledge them as the GOAT, as everyone else always does, then you're a hater. I don't hate LeBron, but there are instances like today where I'm disappointed in him as a Laker fan because I can't help but watch 
what transpired today in game four and not think about Kobe Bryant and the fact that Kobe would have taken over the game once he saw Anthony Davis limp back to the locker room. You think back to when Kobe and Shaq were teammates or even when Kobe was with Pau Gasol. If one of those guys wasn't on the floor, Kobe, for, for right or wrong, is going to take all the fucking shots. I have no problem with that. He's going to make most of them anyway. He's the best player on, on the court. He's the best player you have in uniform. He should take the majority of the shots. Same thing with LeBron. LeBron's the best player on the floor. He's the best player in the Lakers uniform. If Anthony Davis is not out there, LeBron should take the majority of the shots. But instead, he's passing the ball to Kyle Kuzma and Caruso and Marcus Gasol and other guys like that, trying to get other guys involved. I understand that's LeBron's game. He's a... He's more Magic Johnson than he is Michael Jordan. He's a, a point guard in a power forward's body. I get that. But sometimes you got to have that killer instinct, man. I'm sorry. Take the game over. Do not defer to Kyle Kuzma. He will let you down a 1,000% of the time. I've, I've given up on Kuzma. Uh, to me, the ship has sailed on him. He'll probably go somewhere else and thrive the same way Randall did and, and Jordan Clarkson and Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram He'll probably, and D'Angelo Russell as well. Kuzma will probably go somewhere else and take off and put up 20 points in game or whatever. But with the Lakers, he's been nothing. He's been terrible. He's been garbage. Let's just call it what it is. He's been disappointing. In the perfect world, Kuzma will be that third option behind LeBron and AD. He's not. He's not even the fifth or sixth option at this point. And Frank Vogel has to make some coaching adjustments because you can't really bank on AD being there in game five. Like I said, that growing injury ain't nothing to play with. It's not going to heal overnight. So you're probably going to have to start Marcus Gasol. You're probably going to start using Montrez Harrell a little bit more. And he did that a little bit in game four down the stretch. He's been having Montrez Harrell on the bench. This is another. This is a guy in his own right as a former six-man of the year, a very accomplished basketball player throughout the years. You've got this guy on your team, but he's sitting on the bench not doing anything. He's going to have to play more going forward if the Lakers are going to have a chance to win in advance and get to the second round at least and try to buy AD some more time to get healthy to get right. Because as is, this ain't enough. And the Phoenix Suns are nothing to, nothing to sneeze at. This is a good basketball team. They're the number two seed for a reason. You're going to need all hands on deck to beat this team, especially if you don't have Anthony Davis. With Anthony Davis, this series to me will be over in five games. Without Anthony Davis, uh, who knows? It's looking dicey right now. Hopefully AD can get back and the Lakers can advance. I got money on this series. I got bragging rights on this series. I got pride on this series. I got pride on the Lakers going to the finals. I don't like being wrong most of the time. Sometimes I, I, sometimes I do want to be wrong. But for the most part, I don't want to be wrong. I've been saying Lakers-Nets in the NBA finals. That's my story. I'm sticking to it until one of those teams gets eliminated. Now, that covers the on-the-court aspect of basketball this week in the NBA playoffs. Of course, there's always a lot of things going on off the court. In particular, NBA fan disrespect, as previously mentioned earlier in the podcast, as first reported by the Deion Gordon podcast, fans have been allowed back into the stands for NBA playoff games, which is a good thing on some levels. It provides atmosphere, ambiance in general, for the, for the playoff games. It gives you what you were lacking, what you were missing last year in the bubble. It creates pressure. It adds to the fun of the game. It adds to the entertainment aspect of the game. It's not the same without fans. Once again, salute to my man Rodney Vanderpool, who's had uh, two podcasts talking about fans in the stands and the importance of having fans in the stands on this podcast, which you can find on Anchor and Spotify and every other platform that has podcasts on it. Main event, Rodney Vanderpool talking shift on Anchor, Spotify, etc., He's had a number of podcasts talking about fans in the stands, and I agree with him a thousand percent. Sports needs fans in the stands. 
it's a good thing to have people at the games providing that atmosphere, cheering for their teams, cheering against the visiting team, booing people, coming up with funny, creative taunts like you heard the Knicks games last week with the Knicks fans chanting at Trey Young, Trey is balding, clap, 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 clap. That was funny. You need that. We were missing that in the past years. Sports are not the same without fans in the stands. However, the flip side of that is when fans decide to show up and be jerks and douchebags and cocksuckers and low-life assholes and disrespect grown-ass men who are performing for their entertainment because you have a number of entitled, privileged, unruly, douchebag fans out there who think they're above the game, who think these players in the court owe them something, who think it's because they paid their money and bought a ticket, they can show up to the game and dump popcorn on someone like some fan in Philadelphia did to Russell Westbrook or call John Morant the N-word like fans did in Utah last week or spit on Trey Young like fans did in Madison Square Garden in New York last week or today in Boston, a fan threw a bottle at Kyrie Irving. It's great to have fans in the stands. It's not so great when a couple of fans here and there choose to misbehave and disrespect grown-ass men. That's wrong. Because here's the thing. Here's the obvious thing about all this. You know as a fan that you can do whatever you want. You can operate with impunity because you know if this guy decides to charge you to rush the stands, similar to Ron Artest in Detroit with the mouse in the palace in 2004, if this six foot four, 230-pound basketball player decides to come up in the stands and confront you and smack the shit out you, you're going to file a lawsuit, he's going to get suspended, he'll be fined, he'll get in trouble. Nothing will happen to you. You're the fan. You can just plead, well, you know, I was, at, I was just a fan. I was at the game enjoying myself, and next thing I know, this guy was in the stands beating my ass. You'll leave out the part where you, you dump popcorn on him. You'll leave out the part where you spit on him. You'll leave out the part where you threw a water bottle at him or you called him the N-word. You'll leave that part out. But you'll just emphasize the part where he didn't have to put hands on me. It's just a water bottle. It's just popcorn. I've been reading that and seeing that all week. All you got to do is go read the comment section online, on Facebook, any social media platform. Read the comment section for any, any one of these instances, any one of these incidents. You'll have people in the comment section, all of whom are white, saying, well, these guys are big, overpaid babies. I don't see what the problem is. What are they crying about? It's just water. It's just a water bottle. It's just popcorn. Fuck you. If I showed up to your job and dumped popcorn on you or threw a water bottle at you, called you out your name, disrespected you and diminished you and minimized you in some capacity, you'd be ready to fight, and rightfully so. So why go to a game and disrespect and minimize these grown-ass men who you paid a ticket to come watch for what? What are you looking to gain out of this? Are we really this far down the rabbit hole in this clout-chasing society where everyone's just looking to get views and get clicks and make it to sports center and be talked about and have something to brag about? Because you know whoever, whoever it was that, that did these type of incidents was at home at the crib with their low-life loser-ass friends saying, dude, you see me? I was on sports center. I threw popcorn on Westbrook. You see a look on his face? He was so mad. Ha, 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 ha. Did you see the look on John Morant's face? Did you see the look on Kyrie Irving's face? I threw that water bottle at him. That was awesome, wasn't it, dude? You know somebody right now is having that conversation. You know people are thinking that because that's the world we live in. We live in a world of disrespect, and we live in a world of clout chasing. That's all people want to do. You know, so many people in this world talk about things we should normalize, like normalizing luxury, normalizing self-care. My, my lady always talks about that shit. Normalize luxury, normalize self-care. 
I'm with that 100%, but I, I will add a third one to that. We should normalize respect. Normalize respect for your fellow man. Normalize decency. Normalize humanity. Have respect, decency, and humanity for other people. Just because he's a multi-millionaire athlete doesn't mean you should disrespect him. That's asinine to me to even think that way. You can't ignore the optics of the situation. In every one of these instances, it's a white dude disrespecting a black athlete. You don't see this typically happening to the white athletes. Now, if Luka Doncic goes to the Staples Center in game five and gets a water bottle thrown at him, I'll shut up. But so far, all I've seen this week is brothers being disrespected by white fans. It comes down, you know, the, the argument that I already brought up was some people will try to defend this and say, well, it's only a water bottle, it's only popcorn. These people have such little respect for these black athletes, they will disrespect them in such a way and come up with ridiculous ass reasons to justify doing it. People are looking at Kyrie Irving and saying, well, he stepped on the Boston Celtics logo in midcourt. He stepped on a leprechaun, a fictional leprechaun's face. So that warrants it having a water bottle thrown at him. Today it's a water bottle, tomorrow it's a brick, or something like that. Something dangerous and deadly with potentially catastrophic force behind it. There is so much vitriol, bitterness, hatred, contempt, and disrespect for these black athletes from white fans, it is mind-boggling. Why even go to the game? You're going to watch a basketball game, the majority of the guys on the court are black people. If you don't like black people, why are you, why are you going to watch the basketball game? Why are you paying money to go see them play? Because that's the argument people always make. Well, I pay money. I'm paying their salary. Without the fans, these guys wouldn't be anything. They wouldn't have the multi-million dollar salaries that they have. They're all overpaid big babies anyway. There's so many white people out here who have so much jealousy and envy for black athletes because they're making more money than them. A lot of white folks don't like that. They don't like it when they see black people doing better than them. So many white people have told me over the years they prefer college sports over professional sports. And they say, well, because the guys on the collegiate level are playing for the love of the game, and they play harder, and they're playing for the pride of school, and it's about the name on the front of the jersey instead of the name on the back of the jersey. What that really means, the way I decipher and decode all that is, you like watching brothers who are not getting paid to play the sport. You don't like watching brothers who are getting paid millions of dollars and getting paid more than whatever it is that you make at your job. Because the average white person doesn't like when black people do better than them. So that's why you hear these people speak the way they speak and say, well, they're all overpaid big babies anyway. They're all overpaid millionaires. They don't, they don't deserve that money. Teachers and firefighters and, and doctors and military service personnel, they should, get those, they should get those salaries. They should get that much money. Fuck out of here with that shit. And this is coming from someone who served four years in the United States Navy. I remember having conversations with guys in the Navy, all white guys, who would say, we should be making the amount of money these football players and basketball players are making. And I would tell these people, in order for that to happen, they'd have to raise taxes. We are government-funded employees. Go out here on the flight deck. I worked in aviation. I worked in the flight deck. Go on the flight deck and tell me where the fuck do you see 30,000 people watching us fix and maintain aircraft. Where the fuck do you see a VAW-115 and a VAW-112 gift shop? Those are the two squadrons that I was in. Where do you see that? How many people do you see walking around with a brown or green or white jersey on it that says Gordon on the back of it? I don't see anybody walking around with that. Where is the money going to come from? You'd have to raise taxes, and then the public would complain about that. People are always talking about the amount of money these people make. They earn the money. They generate the revenue. They bring the money in. If anything, they're underpaid especially the, the elite players like LeBron and Curry and Kawhi and Kevin Durant. 
Those guys are underpaid. They generate so much revenue that the billionaire owners all pocket the majority of. And they get, they get a, a respectful salary. They make $100 million a year or whatever they make. But to me, it's not enough. I was, I've never been jealous, bitter, or envious of the amount of money that professional athletes make because they generate the revenue. They earn it. They deserve it. You can't say that firefighters and cops and first responders should get that much money because if, you, if they did make that much money, once again, you'd have to raise taxes and then people would cry and complain about that. When the police are responding to a crime and beating the shit out of some black person, is there a crowd of 20,000 people there watching it? If the firefighters respond to a fire, your house is burning down. Is there, gonna, is there a billion-dollar TV contract to broadcast your house burning down on live national television for millions of people to watch? No, there isn't. These people don't generate the revenue. Teachers, same thing. Nobody wants to pay teachers until they talk about the amount of money that basketball and football players are making. You have teachers out here. Teachers should get more money. Trying to teach people's dumbass, disrespectful, unruly, uh, no-house training, having-ass kids. For the amount of bullshit teachers have to put up with, they should get more money. But instead, you have teachers in this country who have to spend their own money on school supplies. So I agree teachers should get more money. But where is the money going to come from? How do we generate this revenue? You, you damn sure ain't going to pay teachers the same amount of money you're paying an NBA point guard. That's not going to happen. So when people say this, when white people say this, to me it's rooted in hatred, jealousy, and envy because you're upset these black people are doing better in life than you are. You're upset these black people have more money than you do. And these white people who speak like this, these are the kind of white people who go to NBA basketball games where the majority of the people on the court are black and throw popcorn and water and spit on people and call people the N-word. These are the kind of people who do that type of shit. They're upset these black people are doing better in life than you are. You had a 400-year head start and fucked it up. You fumbled your privilege, and now here you are sitting in Section 300C in the upper deck in the nosebleeds, and you come down to the floor level when the game is over with, and you throw a water bottle with a basketball player who just got done kicking your team's ass for the last four quarters. Meanwhile, you got to wake up at 3 o'clock tomorrow morning to get in a car you can't even pay for to go to a job that you hate to work 12 hours a day for about 15 bucks an hour to kill yourself slowly for a job that's exploiting you and you hate your life so much that you go to a basketball game and throw objects at black men who are doing better in life than you are. That's a sad existence. Baseball and hockey have also allowed people to come back to the games. You don't see that type of shit happening in baseball and hockey because the majority of the people in baseball and hockey are white people. Basketball is predominantly black. You have a large European influence in the game, but still, basketball is predominantly black. You've seen four incidents in one week. Four. A brother got spit on during COVID-19. We're still in the age of coronavirus. A guy spread his germs. He should be arrested for that. He should be locked up. To me, that's assault with a deadly weapon. You spit on another man. Too much disrespect in this world. I think a lot of it... Like I said, it's rooted in hatred and jealousy and envy. I think a lot of it is also rooted in assholes on television like Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith giving license, giving free reign to fans to come to these games and behave in a fucked up, foul-ass manner. Now, this type of shit was happening before Skip and Stephen A. and the rest of these assholes all rose in prominence, but it's more prevalent now in the past 20 years because people sit in front of the TV and watch Skip and, and Stephen A. and the rest of these guys talking the way they disrespect and denigrate athletes. And they think to themselves, well, it must be true. This guy on TV is saying it. 
He has a nice suit on, a nice TV show. He must know what he's talking about. He just called this guy a bona fide scrub. He just called Chris Bosh Bosh Spice. He just said he wouldn't trade Andrew Wiggins for a box of peanuts or whatever the fuck he said. So if those guys on TV can disrespect these grown-ass men, I can be able to do the same thing, right? Which brings me to my last point I want to make on this podcast. The ongoing saga between Kwame Brown, Stephen A. Smith, Stephen Jackson, Becky with the good hair, Matt Barnes, Jamel Hill, Dr. Boyce Watkins got tangled up in this mess during the week. He got himself tangled up in this mess during the week. Kwame Brown versus the world. Kwame Brown versus anyone and everyone who's disrespected and shitted on him for the past 20 years. This is the most entertaining thing happening in any form of entertainment on the planet Earth right now. Kwame Brown exacting his revenge one person at a time, calling people out, stating facts, spitting truth, living his truth, being 100% authentically real. I love it. I'm here for it. It's the greatest thing I've seen in quite some time. And this week, Stephen A. Smith, who's been at the center of all these attacks. Now, I won't even say attacks. Who's been at the center of everything Kwame Brown's been talking about. At the root of the main point he's trying to get at, which is guys in the media Black dudes in the media, like Stephen A. Smith, have made a career out of disrespecting black athletes. Stephen A. Smith this week finally decided to respond back to Kwame Brown on his show, Stephen A.'s World on ESPN+. And he said, first of all, he came out with his macho man, Randy Savage, WWF-style promo, giving everybody a warning of what he's going to say. I've been listening to Kwame Brown speak for the past two weeks. Y'all been telling me I got to respond. I'm going to get back to him in such an effeminate way as only Stephen A can do. You can tell, tell he was raised by women every time he talks. You can tell he was raised by women. He gives out this warning. He's foreshadowing what he's going to say to Kwame Brown. Then he goes on his TV show, on his little bullshit show, and he offers up like an eight-minute, 46-second soliloquy going after Kwame Brown and half of it is him showing Kwame Brown's lowlights, some of the worst plays from Kwame Brown's career. He offers no apology. He doesn't answer any question. That Kwame, the main questions that Kwame Brown's been asking about him, which is, why did you go on a nationwide college campus tour dragging my name through the mud the way you did? Why did you do that? Who put you up to that? Who paid you to do that? Why did you as a grown-ass man think it was a good idea to go to college campuses and slander the name of a kid in his early 20s? Why did you do that? Stephen A. Smith can't answer. All Stephen A. Smith did with his bullshit response this week was prove Kwame Brown right. You justified and validated everything Kwame Brown's been saying. You are a tool. You are a pawn. You are a house Negro. You tap dance for your white zaddy. You did exactly what your owners, what your handlers told you and instructed you to do. Your only response to this black man challenging you as a man was to go on TV and show a blooper reel of him. And then the other four minutes was deflecting from what he's talking about. And saying, well, Kwame, you know, I just talked about him as a basketball player. Kwame made it personal. You talking about him as a basketball player in the manner and the fashion that you did was personal. You took money out of this man's pocket, potentially. You are Stephen A. Smith. You are the most visible person on ESPN. You have a nationwide platform, a worldwide platform. You are the most visible person on the worldwide leader in sports. Your word is gospel. Your word is bond. People listening to you and receive your words and think it's true. They think it's right. It's not just regular, everyday, average fans. That's also league and team executives buy into what you're saying. If you go on TV and say a guy's a bona fide scrub, he can't play, he has no footwork, he has small hands, etc., people from around the NBA are going to buy into that. 
All Steve Renee did was prove Kwame Brown's point. I never hear Scott Van Pelt or Rich Eisen or Dan Patrick or any other white analyst on TV, any other white sports media news personality on TV denigrate black athletes the way Stephen A. Smith does and Marcellus Wiley and other guys. The only white person I see on TV slandering black athletes and is being completely extra and, and unnecessary in their analysis and being completely disrespectful is Skip Bayless. Skip is the one who called Chris Bosh by Spice. Skip is the one who went on TV dressed up as LeBron James throwing bricks and has been slandering LeBron James for about 15, 20 years now. He's made a whole career, a very lucrative career, out of disrespecting LeBron James in particular as well as other black athletes, prominent black athletes. But it's one thing if a white man does it. It's another thing if a, a one brother does it to another. If an elder black man does it to a younger black man, is even more egregiously disrespectful. Stephen A. Smith is the elder in this situation. And Stephen A. Smith showed his feminine energy this week because he couldn't go on TV and do the right thing. He couldn't go on TV and apologize to this man and say, you know what? I have been disrespectful towards you. It was wrong of me to go on a nationwide college campus tour and drag your name through the mud and use you as an example of what can go wrong and what can happen when you're trying to make the leap out of high school and go straight to the pros and not go to college in a stupid-ass attempt to justify the NBA's one-and-done rule, to justify the NCAA telling high school kids that they had to go to college for one year before they go to the NBA because there was a, a trend happening a little bit too often of high school players like Kwame Brown, like Eddie Curry, like Tyson Chandler, who were all in the same draft, like LeBron James, like Kobe Bryant, like Tracy McGrady, like Sean Kemp before him, Jermaine O'Neal, a whole list of guys, Darius Miles, going from high school to the pros. All these guys have varying degrees of success, but you don't think for one second the NCAA didn't like all these brothers going from high school straight to the pros and bypassing college? You don't think the NCAA was upset that Kobe Bryant didn't go to Duke or LeBron James didn't go play ball at Ohio State? They're losing money. They're losing revenue. Big name high school basketball players, prominent basketball athletes were not going to college. They were going straight to the NBA. This is hurting the NCAA's bottom line. And the NBA, working in conjunction with the NCAA, came together with this one-and-done rule, this bullshit-ass rule making guys go to college for one year or half a year, two semesters basically, just to go play college basketball before they can go to the NBA draft. And Stephen A. Smith was, is complicit in all that because he was going to college campuses and slandering Kwame Brown and telling people about the dangers and the perils of jumping from high school to the pros and telling, telling these college kids, you don't want to be like Kwame Brown. Why the fuck not? These college kids are on campus or whatever college they're at, not on scholarship. They're not athletes. They're going there for maybe an academic scholarship at the most, but they're paying out their ass on tuition, accumulating student loans, student debts, and everything that they got to spend the next 20 years of their life paying for. Sure, they have a degree. Sure, they have a master's, a bachelor's, or whatever, but they also have student debt. They also have student loan payments they can't pay for. Kwame Brown, meanwhile, is a multimillionaire, owns all his property, owns acres of land, and is retired at the age of 39. So I just thought what Stephen A. did this week was cheap and low. Showing a blooper reel is his fucking, that's the easy way out, man. That's fucking ridiculous. I can put together a low-light blooper reel for any player in NBA history, even the greatest all-time great legendary players. I can put together a blooper reel for Jordan, for Kobe, for Larry Bird, for Magic, for LeBron, for Tim Duncan, for Hakeem for Charles Barkley, for Shaq, anybody you want to name, anybody you want, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, 
I could put together a low-light reel for any NBA player who's ever played this game. You're going to struggle. Sometimes the other guy's better than you. Sometimes you make a mistake. It happens. But for Stephen A to do that, only talk for four minutes, and the other four minutes is you showing highlights or lowlights of Kwame Brown that was cheap, that was garbage, that was sellout behavior, that was coonish behavior. He ought to be ashamed of himself, but he won't be. He cashed in his integrity for a check a long time ago. He is doing the bidding of his white zaddies, and he's proving Kwame Brown's point every single day he's on TV in front of a camera. As the elder in that situation, which Stephen A. Smith is, the, the correct and appropriate thing to do would have been to call his brother one-on-one privately, directly, and speak to him off the record. Stephen A. Smith, you're well-connected. You know everybody that there is a known in the NBA circles. You could easily get Kwame Brown's number if you really wanted to. Get his number. Call him. Have a one-on-one, private, man-to-man conversation with him. Hash out all your differences. Apologize to him and tell him why you were going on a college tour to different college campuses and talking shit about this man. How hard would that be? If you're a man with integrity, you can do something like that. Clearly, Stephen A. Smith is a man without integrity, so he couldn't do that. Instead, he's a clout-chasing diva, and he had to make this about ratings. He had to make this about getting views, and he had to make this a TV show instead of doing the right thing. And if you go, you look up the video on YouTube, the, the dislikes outnumber the likes. Just like it is with anyone who's going against Kwame Brown the past two and a half weeks. All the Smoke podcasts, their dislikes outnumber the likes. Everyone who's going against them. The public sees this shit. There's a, there's a shift. There's a t- the tide's turning. People are starting to come around to the bullshit. People are starting to see what's really going on. These agendas, these narratives that are being created. The public is starting to see. People are starting to wake up now. And uh, the establishment, the go-along, get-along gang, as Kwame Brown so aptly puts it, it's starting to get put on blast, and I'm here for it. I want to join in on that. I want, I want to help put them on blast because I'm anti-authority. I'm against the go-along, get-along gang. A brother like me will never make it to the level of Stephen A. Smith. I have integrity, and I won't compromise it. And I can't be a part of the go-along, get-along gang. I can't kiss ass. I can't have my head up somebody's ass. I can't do that. I can't laugh at jokes I know that ain't funny. I can't be around people I know I don't like. I can't go places I don't want to go to do shit I don't want to do. I can't move like that. I want to be successful with this podcast, but not at the compromise of my integrity and my dignity of who I am as a person and who I am as a man and who I am as a black man. I can't do that. Brothers like Stephen A and Boyce Watkins and Charlemagne and all the Smoke podcasts, Becky with the good hair and Stephen Jackson, they can move like that because they have no integrity. As I said earlier in this podcast, it's time we normalize decency, humanity, and respect. And it's also time we normalize being a fucking man. Let's make that popular going forward. Normalize being a man. Stand on your own two feet. Have integrity. Have dignity. Have compassion for your fellow man. Have some type of honor about yourself. Normalize being a man. Let's, let's, keep that, let's push that. Let's keep that moving. Normalize accountability. Normalize transparency. Normalize being able to admit you were wrong. If you did something or you said something that was fucked up, just admit it. Just say, you know what, I fucked up. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's called growth. It's called maturation. It's called being a man. If you fucked up, just say you fucked up. That's all Stephen A. had to do. Just go on TV and say, you know what, my bad. I was wrong. I fucked up. But for a lot of people, that's easier said than done. But I digress. Normalize respect and normalize decency and normalize being a fucking man. Stop disrespecting grown-ass men who are just trying to play a basketball game and perform and entertain you. You bought a ticket, watch the game, cheer, boo, root for whoever you want to root for. 
Do whatever you got to do in a safe, legal, responsible way. Stop being an asshole in public. Stop being bitter that someone's doing better than you are. Just be a fan and just watch the fucking game. Normalize respect. Normalize listening to the Dion Gordon podcast. I appreciate everyone who does listen to the Dion Gordon podcast. Eternally grateful, always humble, very much appreciative. Thank you once again for listening to the Dion Gordon podcast. I couldn't possibly be any more grateful. Picture me rolling. I'm out. <laughs>